Up next, it's the Ecology Hour. You've got Running on Empty with Patrick Henschel. Welcome, listeners. You're listening to KZYX, the Ecology Hour. It's Running on Empty, and I'm your host, Patrick Henschel. Running on Empty's run now for just about 12 months. It's been wonderful, and the time has now come to turn the page. Tonight's show will be the last episode of Running on Empty on the Ecology Hour. If you enjoyed the content, rest assured that the conversation will continue in a new form. You can find and subscribe to my upcoming podcast and the YouTube channel at restorativerevolution.org. In fact, the interview I'll be sharing this evening marks the first episode of the new podcast. Consider that a disclaimer, as there's some references to restorative revolution and sharing my screen over Zoom uh, during the discussion. I'm eager to roll the interview featuring Mr. Gabriel Silva, CEO and founder of Ahimsa, a brand focused on manufacturing shoes that mimic the design of leather dress shoes, but with alternative vegan materials. I really keyed in on Gabriel's story and wanted to share it because I think it's a perfect example of one's personal transformation narrative directly driving the conception and delivery of a higher social calling. All right, Gabriel, welcome to Restorative Revolution. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, yeah, pleasure to be here. (laughs) Absolutely, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Um, For for everybody watching, um, Gabriel is the co-founder and CEO of Ahimsa, um, a vegan shoe company based in Brazil, but certainly with global reach. That's how I was able to find them. So uh, it's it's very cool to have the chance to talk to you. uh, Before we get into you introducing your background a little bit more, which I'm eager for everybody to to get to learn about, um, I myself first discovered Ahimsa when I was going on a hunt uh, for vegan shoes because I had just last year visited Italy. And I uh, was seeing all of you know the amazing clothing that Italy is obviously famous for, uh, but I was looking at uh, these these amazing like leather shoes, right? Beautiful shoes, and I kept thinking, God, I I don't want to buy these anymore. It's like it's 2020. This isn't the time to be buying more leather stuff. I I I get it, but like I was sort of feeling like, man, I really want to find something else. And so then I started looking online, but it, it was actually. I mean, I guess you know this, is harder than somebody might think to just find a really nice, elegant, clean uh, pair of vegan shoes. Ultimately, through my searching, I found Ahimsa, uh, which I want to hear more about, like the, the name of the brand and what inspired that in, in a little bit. But what, what struck me as being so cool was just your emphasis, not only on the, the vegan kind of alternative shoe material, uh, but also the, the sort of philosophical underpinnings of Ahimsa and the emphasis on love and all of these cool qualities. And so I had to try it. Um, just these are my uh, my Himsa shoes I got going on today. Um, and and then I reached out to you and I was thinking that you'd be a great guest for the show because uh, of everything that your company talks about and espouses and sort of where you are in this movement. So thanks for joining. And I, I'd love to um, hear from your end a little bit about yourself and what actually spurred you to develop and give give birth to uh, Himsa. Yeah, like I said, a pleasure to be here, pleasure to share my story and what we do here. Um, So my background is very far away from shoe manufacturing and anything fashion related, really. 
Um, I grew up trying to be a tennis player. Uh, I, I tried to pursue this going to the United States. That's why I, I did my high school years and played tennis there for a little bit. Uh, that, of course, did not work, as you already know. Uh, yeah. the, 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 you know. The competition is very, very great. You know, I wasn't <laughs> prepared for that, I guess. Uh, being there, you know, studying in Florida, I saw that I was able to pursue my childhood dream even before tennis. I really like airplanes and wanted to be a pilot one day, you know. So I was able to start that uh, with my high school education. So I finished all the training. I became a flight instructor. You know, I stayed there in, in Florida for a few years until the economy yeah. really died down in 2008. That's when I came back home to Brazil. I uh, found a job was, you know, really flying high uh, with the, the career that I had picked for me. I was easily placed uh, because of the background that I had and the education yeah. that I had. So uh, I was set, you know, I was set for life. That, that was uh, 2009, 2010. I was 19, 20. Uh, everything that I ever wanted, I, I had already achieved to a certain degree. You know, of course, I had to still to, uh, you know, uh, to start a family and stuff like that, that, that also a goal of mine. But uh, in terms of uh, career, everything was uh, going already uh, as expected as I had planned. Um, unfortunately, I was diagnosed, or fortunately now, uh, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes uh, in early, in late 2010, early 2011. Um, so I did not know what that meant at the time, uh, except that I would probably be insulin dependent and that I could no longer fly. So. At 21, uh, exactly where I wanted to be, you know, with the, the dream to achieve, to try to achieve everything, I was diagnosed with a disease that ended my career right then and there, you know, uh, nothing to do, there's no treatment, uh, you, you can be uh, insulin dependent, you can even try a transplant, which is not recommended, but still uh, flying is no longer a possibility. It's completely so. full stop, not allowed. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I could... I could go back to maybe instructing, but not not sure, young. But that's not where the passion is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, because the, there are so many restrictions. You know, the the, the way the, the medical examination is done and all yeah. the the proof of capability that you have to deliver. You know, it's really complicated. Di type one diabetes. Uh, I, I'm sure some people watching this know it's a, not a, a simple disease. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's more of a condition once you get the hang of it, not, it doesn't really hamper you too much on a daily basis. At least that's hmm. my experience, but it's something that you have to be on top constantly. So, sure, sure. um, I'm sure that, th that that's the reason that the laws are there, you know, that prevent people with that, uh, from flying, but, uh, you know, everything is evolving and hopefully people that are, you know, start just starting out and uh, are born with this. I was not, you know, I was diagnosed very late, right. but hopefully people will be able to pursue their dreams as well because uh, I have a normal life. You know, I, I was prevented right, right, yeah, from doing, I was prevented from doing the one thing that I wanted, but that opened so many doors that I, I can't complain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story of sort of opening, closing one door and opening another and seeing what's on the other side. So then, so then what happened when, once you had to, you realized you had to make the switch. Yeah, so my father has been in the footwear industry for many, many years. Uh, he, I think it's almost 40 years at this point. So, uh, you know, a very high percentage of his life. He was starting in shoe factors when he was like 16 or 17. So, um, so he has been working as an agent for many years already. He has his own company where he uh, works in the development of for a major brand. So he gets the projects and 
We are located mm -hmm. here, the city where I was born, which is Franca in the interior of Sao Paulo state here in Brazil. Uh, it's, the, it's basically the shoe capital of Brazil. So there are over 600 shoe factories here. Uh, so I was living in Sao Paulo at the time and I, I had no idea what I was going to do after my career had suddenly stopped. So he just told me, just come back home for a little while, you know, be there with me. Uh, I'll try to keep you occupied for a bit until you figure something out. Uh, you, you always have us as a fallback. So if you go right. there and you don't like, you can go pursue other things, but you at least know what I do and maybe you end up liking it. So um, at the time I was, I was excited. It was never, I was never reluctant. You know, I think the, the, the downbeat uh, that I had from had to stop flying was maybe two or three days, uh, which was basically the time that I had to be uh, in the hospital until I had recovered after di the diagnosis. So, uh, and then I was quickly able to, you know, get my head up again. You know, I actually, I had some, I, I was able to go back to flying for a little bit because there is a, after you introduce insulin, um, your body sort of has a, have a rest uh, and then after some time, it, it sort of starts producing insulin again. And then uh, some people are able to, to be without that for a few months, a couple of months. I was able to go without for almost a year. Uh, and in this year, I was introduced to many kinds of diets, you know. Um, and I was visiting doctors a lot, especially nutritional specialists, sure, you know, sure, sure. for uh, making me go on a no dairy uh, diet and then a no gluten diet. So I was, ex I was being tried many stuff on me, you know, because since type one diabetes is an autoimmune disease, so it starts basically from within, there's no really uh, external factors. You're, you have the, the gene and it's just activated. Um, so I, I visited a lot of doctors and they tried a lot of stuff on me and of course, as, as I now know, nothing really worked. It just delayed for a little bit, but I was able to go back to flying and that started waking my head up to other things because that could maybe come back as it did. Uh, so when my father invited me to come and to work with him, I was already in another page. You know, I had flipped the, the page already and I was ready to, hmm. to try something. I, I wasn't really complaining or being sad, you know. So I was really excited to, to learn new stuff. And uh, so you, I think you already get the point where I was being yeah. tried a lot of stuff on, you know, and trying a lot of different diets and being at, in doctor's office constantly to try to see what right, was right. You know, happening. And I also did my own research to see, is there any way that I can revert this? What's the sure. best health, you know, uh, perspective for me? You know, uh, if you read a little bit online, you'll see that type one diabetes has a, a shorter, you know, diabetics have a shorter life expectancy. And I was like, this can't be real. You know, this is another downside of this. So uh, I have to fix this. So uh, looking at all the different options, basically, as soon as I started to work with my father, I was already, there's no way I, I can remain in a normal diet, you know, just going about my life and not caring too much about what I do. So first thing I did was to you know, really get on top of my, you know, physical capabilities. I was really thin at the time. Uh, I had to do the conversion from kilograms to pounds, but I was under 110 pounds at the time. So I was really skinny, really, really skinny. Yeah. I, I was never heavy. You know, my normal weight is around 130, 140, you know, but sure. at, at that margin, right. it makes a substantial difference. Sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I looked sick. So I took, on, I, I went 
on, on that first. I gave up all the diets that everybody gave me and I sort of released myself for a little bit and focused on my health. Uh, but immediately I was questioning everything that I was doing. So hmm. I decided that um, the evidence was clear that I couldn't just uh, remain within the basic regular Western diet. And I um, decided to go vegetarian. Uh, and that was... Uh, Selfish in the beginning, I admit, was just for my health. Uh, I wasn't thinking of the environment or the animals, uh, but that just really opened the doors. And uh, mm. within within some months, I I adopted uh, a dog, and you know she really changed my life. You know, and uh, uh, just you know looking at her eyes, like I, I can't believe we uh, you know we kill animals and we do you know and we enslave them. So uh, the that I have to take the next step and avoid everything. So I became a vegan and that really compromised the work that I was doing with my father with leather shoes. So I had to find an exit. <laughs> but along the way, you'd picked up all of those skills uh, in yeah. there, right? That kind of sounds like it's, it's the segue to chapter two. But exactly. I mean, man, like kudos to you for taking that news and that that new kind of reality and just having your whole world turned upside down and then figuring out a way to like make sense and meaning out of it and then taking steps forward from there because I think a lot of people when they're faced with those types I mean it's 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 hard right I mean it just it's so monumental to get that kind of news and to be faced with that but still I think there's a whether it's this or the other thing, there's a tendency to want to find external solutions that can help solve the problem. And mm -hmm. I, I think there may be, a, there's a, a place for those, but certainly taking that sort of ownership and saying, you know what, this is also going to be a function of what types of life choices I make. How do I eat? How do I live? I have to really take, take command of this in my own creation of my life, or else I might be one of those statistics you know, end of life, diminished end of life, end of or uh, lower quality of life statistics. So you 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 did that and you made it a thing, and then you built this amazing enterprise um, off of that as well. So what so what happens next then? So you're you're um, you're splitting from your father based on this because you can't keep making leather shoes. And I assume that you, I mean, if you're anything like me and the people that I've talked to, you also come into some cultural conflict the moment you start saying I don't want to eat meat anymore, especially like in yeah. Brazil where meat, yeah. I mean, America also, right? But certainly Brazil. I mean, I remember when I was a kid going to the Brazilian uh, restaurants yeah. and you just have the puck. It's like you turn it over when you want more meat and you turn it over when you want less meat. It's, it's all about the meat. So what kind of conflict did you come into there? And then how did you basically move beyond that into actually leveraging your personal experience into the creation of mm -hmm. Ahimsa? Yeah, so... Actually, the first meal that I had as a vegetarian it was one in one of those steaks and swords places. You know, the, that's the the Just like I sat salad. down. Yeah, I, I sat down on the table and I told my parents that I'm never eating meat again. And they gave me maybe a week and that, that I would go back. And it's been almost nine years, so uh, never had anything in my mouth again. <laughs> uh, shortly after, it became wow. a vegan. Uh, so um, yeah, I mean, it's really a, a, a mental decision. You know, not. You yeah. have to put the, the, you know, your desires and your aspirations and also uh, the decision to go from vegetarian to vegan was very much thinking of the animals and not just of myself as I did when I became a vegetarian. So 
Um, as soon as I told them that I, that was the decision that, I, you know, the direction that I was going, uh, of course, I came back to the situation where, what am I doing now? You know, uh, am yeah. I, this is going to be probably the, the fourth career that I have to find something else to do. You know, tennis didn't work. And how old fine. are you at this point? Just for as an anchor, how old are you at this point? I'm about to turn 31. About to turn 31. Okay. Oh, no, no. Right now I'm 31. So at this oh. point I was 21. So about 10 years 21. ago. 21. Okay. This is yeah. 10 years ago. So you've already had four careers yeah. in the span of since you, until you were 21, basically. It's like, I think yeah. that's right about when I was like starting my third year <laughs> of college. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So fourth career, uh, uh, I was, you know, when flying, I was reading a lot of business books. Uh, you know, you sit on autopilot for a lot <laughs> of yeah. the time on, on flights and you, you kind of share the, the load. So sometimes you have a little bit of off time as you're flying, but somebody else is watching everything. So uh, my go-to reading there was, uh, you know, business books uh, for uh -huh. no particular reason, except that it excited me. Uh, I had no aspirations of becoming an entrepreneur or starting anything. Sure, you you sure. know, it was just, it was just aspirational um, to read what, what everybody was doing. So um I was thinking about a lot of things, but I, I kind of at the same time started searching for alternatives for me, like what, what am I going to wear? You know, what kind of shoes am I going to uh, find for me now? And I wasn't happy with the, the, the stuff that I saw. And that's when it clicked, you know, that I had acquired the knowledge. I felt that I was really in the core of the market need and that I could be opinionated about what was good. And right. I was located in the in the in the city that you know has everything around so i remember one day coming to my father and telling him the idea and uh, you know it, it at the time at the first time that i mentioned it we, we just pushed it aside you know we never we never had control of anything like he had an agency that people came to him with the project with the desire with the the, the capital Got so it. You know, we, we had never. He wasn't the create. He wasn't the design yeah. guy so much. So we, we kind of pushed it aside for a little bit, and that that probably took another six months for me to mat really mature the idea. Uh, and what made me take the the jump uh, was finding the name. You know, coming, going online and researching for what should I name this? You know, how can I convey everything that I believe has to be within this brand in a single word? You know, so. Uh, I try to be very deep in, in everything that I do, meaning that if I like something, if I'm connected with something, and that can be with music, with books or anything like that, I try to go to the source, you know. So if you like this kind of music, what this guy likes, you know, what, what was his inspiration to write something like this? So and then you, you go down the next step, you know. So becoming a vegetarian, becoming a vegan, I was looking for the source of everything. And that's when I came up with the, you know, I, I saw it, I discovered the Ahimsa philosophy, lifestyle, you know, um, uh, really the philosophy and finding it as the source, you know, if you go very deep, uh, why do people make this choice, you know, and how can you explain the feeling of going, of foregoing your maybe own desires for the good of the others, you know, how can you explain that? And uh, I, I don't think Portuguese and English are good languages to, to try to fit so much into a single word. Mm. So mm. we found uh, Ahimsa, which is uh, Hindu, and it means do no harm to all beings, basically. Uh, that's how I like to explain it. And that just made sense and, told, and basically uh, pushed me to, to go further, to actually get started. So 
made the decision uh, with the name. Uh, I contacted one of my friends that was in the tech industry and he helped me uh, set up websites and all. Uh, the idea was to be online only. Uh, being in the industry, the, 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 the best part, the easiest part was making the shoes. Uh, that was easiest for us at the time. Right. So we just made a decision on uh, MVP model, you know, let's do four or five styles, men's and, men and women, you know, basically unisex everything. Uh, and let's see what works. You know, we'll, we'll come up with some designs, we'll make a nice website and we'll put it out there and see what people feel. So let's actually, let's cut to that for a moment, just so um, we can see what that looks like now. The, I think this is a cool uh, page for a number of reasons that you have on your site, because it really highlights uh, the formation of your, of your logo and your, mm -hmm. your presentation. And then also, of course, itself, um, and then all of the team members. And I love this. I love how you really put every single person kind of front and center in your presentation. You know, it's not just like the senior leadership, you know, the picture and the story of Gabriel and, and how he overcame what he overcame. And it's, it's a cool story, obviously, right? But you're, it's not just about you. It's about the we. It's about the whole. And that that is... I think the beautiful thing about the way that you're approaching this, it, you said it just a few moments ago, but you talk about the sort of leaning into Ahimsa as that anchor for self-sacrifice, for the kinds of changes that we need to make in service of the greater good, the greater whole. And I, I think about that all the time with respect to um, all of the conservation and ecology challenges that we face, right? Animal welfare uh, being being one of the biggest ones, and then obviously, climate change, right? Everything um, in the whole suite of, of crises that we're, we're facing. But what's common in all of those is this need to, to really live in a state of existence beyond just my own personal immediate what's right in front of me self-interest. Start mm -hmm. to see ourselves in the other and expand our sense of identity to include the whole. And, and I think that, you know, it's a long way of saying that I think that your website does a good job of capturing this. Obviously, the point of the website, you know, in, in one element is to drive drive sales and so that you can actually keep this enterprise running and, and generate income and, and use that income to pay yourself and to pay all of these people. But I think that a big part of it is to show here's the team, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to take a moment to, to show that. And then I'm hoping that, you know, feel free to speak to that, but also if you could tell us a little bit about this right up here, what this means to you, this sort of combination of Lotus and these different um, elements, these different visual elements. Yeah, so when coming up with the, the logo, you know, Ahimsa has some symbols to it. You know, the philosophy already has something, some stuff that's related, uh, but the design team that helped me at the time, they really did their, their research and looked for inspiration in many, many places and trying to also be respectful of the, you know, the philosophy behind it and the religions that really follow it as well. So uh, we try to, you know, uh, we took, um, we took the lotus flower uh, and it's usually represented as an open flower, like you see there in the website. Yep. And, uh, and also the Tilak, which is a, a painting that uh, people, you know, uh, of the religion usually uh, you know, will do in their foreheads, uh, sure. and that will you know will be will be meaning respect and wisdom and all the traditional values associated with the the people in in certain religions. And sure. we combine those two in in a designy way uh, to 
show everything that we wanted. So the logo is a lotus flower enclosed and it, it brings some of the, you know, the, the, especially the middle there in the tilak uh, sure. to try to keep our values within. So uh, making the flower closed instead of open is to, to make sure that everything that we believe in has to be held within uh, very mm. close to oneself. So it's not mm -hmm. something that we want to be letting go. So that's how the design team came up with the idea. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. Like I really like the logo. We haven't changed it and I don't think we'll ever need to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely is beautiful. And again, you're, you're seeing in that this linkage between sort of external enterprises and the internal state. Right, which I think is you know, Gandhi. Right, change, uh, change begins from within. Right, be yeah. the be the change you want to see in the exactly. world is is uh, the line. So, I think that's awesome. Um, and is that something that you feel has resonated with your customers and with the people that have found your brand? Is that that the fact that you like? I'll speak for personal experience. It did with me. I thought this was a really cool thing to receive. Um, in the box apart from the shoes and you know like I get it that sometimes companies do this as sort of like marketing flair so I, I know that that's also a thing but I really based on the the, the message and then the signatures and again the presentation of the whole team that's involved and then that's sort of enwrapped with all the other experiences of the of the customer journey I, I felt like this was very real and so I wonder is that the is that the feedback that you get from your um, your customers as well yeah, the, the idea is always to try to show that we are a team and everybody that's involved uh, has their contribution, not just in the actual labor, but I, I try to listen to everybody as well. You know, I, I consider myself as their leader uh, for being the owner and, the, and one of the founders uh, together with my dad, but I, I don't make shoes myself. You know, if, I, if you give me the tools, uh, I, I probably can't come up with something by myself. So right. um, they're really doing all the work so we try to show as much as we can um i i don't i mean some customers are really impressed and really like it and really feel the connection uh i think we we are always pushing ourselves to to be more yeah. clear and and show a bit more as well yeah and also i consider one of our uh priorities uh the need for us to be constantly telling our story you know because yeah. uh we are we are, we are a factory, uh, we are a brand, uh, we make everything in-house, you know, we try to be transparent about everything. And uh, a lot of people ask me, how can you guarantee transparency? How can you guarantee that everything is actually vegan? And the answer is I own the factory, you know, I, I wasn't happy with the answer I provided before. So uh, we. So you didn't started, start with your own factory. That was a, no. that was a development, right? Yeah, we we sold the, the the you know the MVP model that we started with was outsourced. Uh, that okay. lasted for about three or four months, and as soon as the the brand had some traction uh, in early 2014, uh, that's when we opened the doors to our own factory and have had it since. So cool, I, it's it's the way that I can not just the materials because. Um, like I explained to anybody that asked me, like, are you vegan or you don't eat meat and stuff like that? And I say, yes, that's all true. But that's the least of the problems. You know, I try to question mm. everything. I try to uh, understand everything that's around me. Um, so not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not just a diet and it's not just a life choice. You know, it's a philosophy that I try to live by. And it's the same thing with the factory, like owning the factory. I, I, I know the, 
the the salaries of everyone i know the, yes how, i was gonna how, say yeah, yeah i know how much they work you know i i try to be as close as i can to to their situation as well you know how is your family how is personally you know especially nowadays with the pandemic that we're going through and everything so it's been important for us to be a family for each other you know we are together for more than we are with our families for real so uh we have to you know, I, treat I know each other with respect right and isn't that, isn't that crazy that you can even hear things from companies that say, oh, it's not, it's not personal. It's just business. Yeah. It's like, it's all it, in a way it's all personal, right? Because these are people that you're, like you said, you're spending all of this time with and it's so yeah. it's sort of an arbitrary distinction when you just walk through that door. Um, there's, there's an opportunity for real relationship there, meaningful relationship, or there's the opportunity just to see the person that walks through that door as a resource right yeah. on a spreadsheet with a salary attached to them, which is just a cost of doing business and how much yeah. revenue are they going to generate? That's one way to conceive of your team. And there's a whole other way that is that you're this sort of interconnected web of individuals with your own individual experiences, but behind that sort of veil of individuality is the truth of oneness and connection. And, and the more we can sort of build our businesses, our organizations, our, relationships of every kind around that premise, I think that's all, you know, that iteratively layer by layer is sending the the world in the direction that we actually want to go and not individual mm -hmm. fragments serving self-interest, but like coming together to create as a team, like caring about each other in a real substantive way, not just marketing BS, like a page on a website. I'm not saying that about the page on your website. <laughs> I'm saying about that, about the pages on a lot of websites as opposed to something that's really kind of substantive that you can grab onto, right? Yeah, and I, I, I mean, it's really, we, we are able to connect all the dots, really. You know, I yeah. don't, I really don't like to speak bad about anybody else. I know, I, I do hope that everybody is really trying as hard as they can. Uh, but being in the industry and knowing how everything is made and what goes on behind the scenes, I do know that some of the claims that are out there can't yeah. really be followed to the degree that they claiming those web pages. So uh the my answer is that one you know i i know why how everything's made because i own the factory <laughs> right yeah absolutely and it's the degree of greenwashing is like inconceivable mm -hmm. i remember five years ago i went to maybe it was more as like 10 years ago i guess now i went to this yoga festival in santa monica uh california and i was just aghast i was aghast at the, like the 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 sheer amount of marketplace activity at what was intended to be like a yoga festival, right? And it's not that I necessarily have a problem with that being present, there being this exchange of goods in the marketplace. I think that's a pretty important kind of fundamental part of a human relationship if it's done with the right sort of energy and spirit. But it, it was just such a consumer spectacle. Like, and there was so much trash. I was volunteering there as part of like a zero waste um, uh, initiative. And I was like, eating meat there was not vegetarian it was not vegan it was it was all about meat and or at least you know somewhat enough about meat to be problematic in my view and so there wasn't really just a lot of attention or consideration paid to these um these aspects of what they were doing and i it kind of it left a bad taste in my mouth and i and it, it it kind of it made me think okay as as i create things and as i meet people i want to screen for those types of creations that really feel real and substantive. And it's not just like they're just using this as a ploy to just sell more stuff because mm -hmm. that's the new fad. That's the new thing.
right? Yeah. So I think authenticity is, is the word here that keeps coming back to me. Yeah. That's what we try to, uh, as much as we can, we are not perfect. We don't claim to be. Uh, right. Our products have faults. Uh, eventually we run into problems. We have to turn back and restart and uh, re do our research, change materials here and there. Uh, yeah. And we're very transparent about that as well. Like a lot of our styles uh, come and go. Uh, some are in their third or fourth iteration already. Uh, major iteration where we do change the whole product and uh, go with a version number, let's say. Uh, but we are constantly making improvements as well. Like uh, as soon as we learn of, uh, because the, the, the market is changing, you know, the, the materials are developing very fast and we yeah. try to, to follow the, the technology as well. So uh, as much as we can to, to make the products better, uh, we are going in that direction. The more sustainable, the more environmentally friendly, you know, uh, right. the better. That's actually something I wanted to cover off with you. So I, I know that these shoes, are, obviously they're not leather. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. They're they're made of like a kind of plastic, right? Um, yeah. So could you, because I know that's something that sometimes comes up when you talk about vegan shoes. People say, oh yeah, well, you're not having animal leather as the material for your shoe, but you're using plastic, which is petrol based. And yeah. it's like, that's true. That's true. There's, there's a, that's a real thing. So I, how do you respond to those, um, those challenges? I'm so um, it, it, our leather-like shoes are made of a kind of plastic. There's no denying yeah. that. And I won't try yeah. to move away. Uh, we have many fancy names for that, you know, vegan leather, future leather, sure. you know, uh, many, many different names to try to avoid sure. that because it is a, a, you know, a negative point for some people, you know, people that just right. judge a book by the cover, they will look at and see plastic and but it's not the, the, the regular old plastic that you have your Tupperwares, you know, it's a very high tech at this point and it's very durable. Uh, one of my mm -hmm. friends does really call it future leather because at this point, the ones that we use, the microfibers that we use are in my view and are attested by others as well to be better than leather. You know, some industries mm -hmm. have already moved away from animal leather and use the ones that we use not for any kind of cruelty reasons just because mm. it performs better you know it's meaning uh, like durability when you talk about performance are you yeah. talking mainly about yeah. durability yeah. and retaining so, its color and its texture and all of that exactly uh the it. the kind of temperatures it can sustain you know the kind of weights it can hold uh the kind of flex it can sustain as well you know we we now see many car companies even moving away from the leather yeah. seats and using the same kind of stuff that we use because it it, it ages better uh, you know, uh, it, it's just, like I said, performs better. So it, it's really like the price is very competitive already, but it's only a matter of time before it gets really, really uh, below animal leather. Uh, some are already below animal leather, but the ones that really? we use the really high quality uh, are still a, a bit above, but will come down soon enough. Um, so I, I'm no expert in, in uh, you know, life sciences or anything like that. And I don't do all the the data analysis, but from what I understand and from what I've seen in the research, uh, if you go down to the dot and see the amount of, uh, let's say, waste or CO2 that's generated within the manufacturing of these materials, uh, and you compare it, what it, what goes uh, with um, making leather, which is you know right. uh, having a baby cow and then growing the baby cow and then feeding it for many. <laughs> many, many months and then um, all the water that goes into it and then of course killing the animal uh, and um, you know, all the tanning process, all the chroming that goes into it. And if you, methane. If you take, yeah, methane and, you, and if you put that 
everything into a you know the calculation there i'm i'm pretty positive that our, our materials will be more you know uh sustainable in the end uh, not even including the cruelty aspect which is a non-starter for me anyway so um the the first like I, I always say that mission number one for us is to try to take people out of using leather you know animal leather has to mm -hmm. go away uh we have to make people understand uh in a um positive way that we no longer need this you know uh we, we have better alternatives already and we we don't really need to be doing this anymore so as soon as we get people off or during the process of getting people off leather uh, the materials that we use will get better, will get cheaper. You know, yeah. the same thing that's happening with the plant-based meats is what we're seeing in the material science for same shoes. Thing. It makes total sense. Well, I, I, I want to um, wrap up in just a few minutes, but I think like a great note to end on are some sobering statistics that really drive home the importance of finding solution um, in this area, in the area of developing materials, apparel, um, and of course, everything related to animal agriculture. Um, I was reading a, a couple of articles uh, that, that said that humans make up 0.01% of overall biomass on earth, 0.01%. And yet, since we've been here, we've managed to wipe out 83% um, of all wild mammals. So if you think about that, we make up 0.01% of all animal biomass and we've wiped out 83% of wild mammals. It's a crazy statistic. And the second one um, that is just baffling to me is that if you look at mammal biomass on aggregate, 60% of that is actually uh, made up of livestock. Wow. And 36% of that is made up of humans. So that leaves 4% for wild mammals. Wow. It just speaks to the scale of the problem, right? I think you, we have like these intuitions about how bad it is, but I think mm -hmm. until we actually look at the numbers and, and allow ourselves to really be like, oh my God, 60% is livestock, 60% of mammals. That's, we've reshaped the planet. Yeah. And, and so I, I really, and then the, I guess the last one is I, animal agriculture on the whole contributes anywhere from 18% to 51%, depending on the study, 18%, 51%. Are you just looking at this? Or are you looking at all of sort of the associated processes around animal agriculture? Um, anywhere from 18 to 51% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So yeah. it is a huge issue. It's probably the singular, um, in many ways, the singular biggest issue that we need to, to solve as a society. And uh, I think that you're you're on the cutting edge of um, basically doing that with with your business in this case. So thank you for all the work that you do. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's like it's it's my mission. You know, I consider it to be my mission. Uh, it's hard to to balance everything. You know, with running the day to day and yeah. uh, um, you know it, it's it's a regular business. At the end of the day, you know, I have to keep it afloat. I have to you know right. um, pay my bills and all. So. Uh, but to have this this mission statement, you know, to have this goal there, this you know, shining bright, very bright light, uh, it really inspires me every single day. You know, I I kind of joke that I the business is hard. You know, footwear manufacturing is really an artisan uh, work. Uh, no right. two pairs come out alike. They might look right. the same, but they they probably behaved very Quite differently during production. Yeah. Um, so I kind of give up every day by midday and I go home to have lunch and I come back pumped 
to get started on solving more problems, you know. Uh, and uh, I'm always excited to be here because of that, you know, uh, regardless of how bad the day has been or the, the last season was or how the sales were last week or what's the, the outcome for, yeah. for anything, uh, knowing that I'm trying to do something a bit greater than me, uh, yeah. you know, trying to be a small part in that, uh, it, it really makes me happy. Good. Well, normally I, the last question I like to ask is why do you do the work that you do, but you just answered it. So that's a great place to close. And thank you for being part of the restorative revolution. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. You just heard from Gabriel Silva, CEO and founder of Ahimsa. If you want to learn more about Ahimsa, go ahead and visit useahimsa.com. That's U-S-E-A-H-I-M-S-A. Com. Now, candidly, I'm a little bit nervous um, that listeners might think that I'm just doing a, making a concerted effort to plug Gabriel's shoe company. I promise you I didn't receive any kind of compensation for this interview for any kind of promotional purpose. The truth is, is that I just got really excited about it. Um, when I when I was going on my search and then I found it and I started reading about it and I started reading about Gabriel and and all of that, I thought it was really cool. And I think that these kinds of businesses that are at least endeavoring in their heart of hearts to make this effort toward being sustainable, toward designing um, goods that meet a social need, but in a way that is health, healthier uh, for the planet, like meaningfully healthier or on the track to being really meaningfully healthier for the planet, um, I think is great. And not just the, the product innovation aspect, but the kind of social structure of the company as well. Uh, and the way that, at least from the interview, you can see that he's prioritizing the welfare of his team. And you can see them centrally positioned on the website. But frankly, I have a lot more questions about that. I really want to understand the corporate governance structure. Um, to what degree is this like a you know, top-down um, decisions made kind of exclusively by Gabriel and maybe an executive team versus the workers themselves are involved uh, in the decision-making process. I think it would be really cool if that mechanism of corporate governance was more in place. But I, And I'm not saying it's not. I don't know. We didn't really get into talking about it. But that would be, I think, for me personally, a really interesting thing to discuss um, in a subsequent interview with Gabriel. And I think he'd be open to it. I think he's cool. That's one of the cool things about talking to him is he doesn't really get defensive and you can challenge, you know, why, why plastic, right? Why are you using plastic um, for your shoes? And he's got his answers, he's got his reasons, and they seem pretty reasonable to me. So I think that's cool, and um, I'm looking forward to a future discussion. So what did I take away from this discussion? I just wanted to recap a few themes that really stood out to me as being um, pretty salient, pretty important topical socially and uh, resonant with what I've been reflecting on lately myself personally. The first one is age-old quote, uh, be the change you wish to see in the world, right? And again, I said this earlier, but one of the things about this story that resonated with me was Gabriel's personal narrative of Unfortunately, I mean, obviously, unfortunately, finding out that he had diabetes when he was 
just a, an emerging a young man, a commercial airline pilot, and having that really turn his life upside down, right? He, you know, he had to sort of question all of his pre-existing desires and motivations, and in doing so, he arrived at a different way of being within himself, right? I'm kind of s- skipping ahead, but he became vegan, and not just as like, you know, I'm not going to eat this, but as more of a sort of lifestyle and kind of spiritual practice, if you will. I think it's the sense that I get. Hence the name Ahimsa uh, that he gave the company, which means nonviolence, right? So I, I think that that, um, that link between him really wanting to be the change, like wanting to embody this transformation inside of himself and sort of having to as a matter of necessity, and then that sparking this external creation was really cool to see because I, you know, when I think about the response that I often see to climate change, environmental destruction, and certainly like I, my, my heart is totally there with everybody that's doing all that they can to, to protest this thing at every level to instigate political change, social change. I'm like 100% there, right? Uh, I'm not saying I'm doing enough, but in terms of my my ideology and what I support and what I want to see happen, I'm I'm right there with them. But I I do sometimes wonder, like, to what degree can this push for external change out in the world really be decoupled from having one's own life kind of be in order and be reflective of these values, right? I think for a long time, um, the, the emphasis in the green movement was around personal choice making. Are you recycling enough? Um, <laughs> are you turning off your light bulbs? Are you driving an electric car or a hybrid? And all, all of this. And of course, we all know that individual behaviors are not going to make the dent, uh, any dent really, in terms of what's needed on a grand scale here. I, and I acknowledge that. But still, I can't help but feel that that to... To, to, to not have that, not, to not have found it within yourself to make some of the personal sacrifices or changes, right? To kind of contend with one's own personal demons. Um, I, I can't help but think that it kind of undermines the, the validity of a larger um, social or global proposition. And that's not to undermine what's being said in the sense that like it does it shouldn't be listened to or heard or meaningful, but it kind of robs it of some of its oomph to me. Um, and and also I think it will then lack some of the wisdom that it could be informed by based on direct personal experience, right? That's in some ways a bigger concern. So that you know go back to Greta. That's why she's such a wonderful you know beacon and role model, I think, for, for all of us that care about these issues, is Greta walks the walk, and she talks the talk. She doesn't think that just by, you know, being vegan and even getting her family to change to being vegan, that that's in some way enough. She doesn't stop there. Um, she make it, makes it her, her mandate to go out and, you know, to challenge people to change and to, I should maybe say, invite people to change, but certainly also challenge them, right? 
Um, so I think that that's what, one of the things that makes Grit, Grit awesome. And I, uh, you know, I, I think that the more that we can embody that sort of parallel approach to this problem, the better, right? Now, there will always be disingenuous people on the other side of the aisle that say, oh, you're speaking at this conference or you're protesting um, this pipeline uh, project, but you had to drive here to do it. It's like, okay, dude, you know, you don't, I wouldn't say you should take on that conversation, <laughs> do whatever you want, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere productive because that's obviously not a dialogue in good faith. And yet, if somebody, you know, honestly points out or critiques, it's like, hey, you know, to what degree are you making an active effort? Nobody's perfect, obviously, but to what degree are you making an effort to embody some of these principles in your personal life? Or are you just sort of saying, hey, this, the whole world needs to change, but I'm not willing to, right? I, I think that that's, that's the concern. And I think it's a nuanced conversation. And I think that there are traps on <laughs> kind of on either side, right? Where somebody could be critiqued um, for kind of being polar on either one of those ends, in my opinion. So I think that's, you know, that's a long way of saying be the change, um, right? And, okay, the second theme it, that stood out to me was do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And this is something that I have so often wrestled with myself, uh, whether it's like a new kind of business idea or a new way to kind of get out there and start connecting with people on some of these issues. There's always that like nagging part of me that says, oh, oh my God, your presence has to be just perfect before you can do that, right? And it's, a little, it's more insidious than that. It's more subtle. It's like, it, it, it kind of manifests as almost like a lack of motivation to engage in the, in the creative effort um, <laughs> if I don't have like all of the pieces are articulated in a pristine you know, fashion with a bow wrapped around them. And I, and I just, I'm convinced that that is my ego's way of sabotaging progress. Like, I, I think that it's an excuse to not start something, an excuse to not begin um, a, a project. And I, and I think that, that that doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan, obviously, and kind of proceed with, with um, you know, deep consideration. I'm, I'm all for that. But I, I think at a certain point, you just have to start somewhere. And so like Gabriel could have said in his process, it's like, ah, oh, I can't make these, I can't make vegan shoes because well, I'm going to have to use these plastic materials and plastic's bad. But in his research, and I, I haven't really studied this rigorously, but my guess is that, pretty strong guess, is that the, the cost of, uh, in terms of fuel emissions to producing these um, vegan shoes, albeit made of plastic and petrochemicals to a degree, um, is much lower than sustaining and stimulating the industry that promotes the rearing of livestock and all of the consequences that come with that. So you got to start somewhere. And I think he articulated that well in our discussion. The goal being to iterate on that first program of creation time and time again into optimized, iterate into optimized so that by the end, you don't even necessarily like remember where you started without really giving it some thought because the, the thing that comes later is going to be radically different than the thing that came before, but there's a progression there. And, and I'm not, do not confuse this with an endorsement of incrementalism, of incremental change. That is not how I feel. I don't think we have the time for that with respect to this issue. I think we need transform, transformational change. 
Um, for sure, for sure, urgency. Uh, however, and again, I've recognized this inside of myself, this sense that's like, well, you know, unless I'm talking to millions of people, what's the point of even talking? And I think that that is a trap. I don't think we can live life that way. I think it's a mistake. I think it's actually a form of narcissism and arrogance that ultimately just keeps us small. I think you've got to start somewhere. And to me, um, the trick is <laughs> don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And then the last theme I'll call out, of course there are more, of course, but the last one that I'll call out that really stood out to me was you know, this need, this sort of innate, human drive to conquer one's fear um, in the process of challenging accepted social or familial norms, right? I'm not saying don't fear these things. Um, I think it's completely natural to have fear, but don't stand down from the fear. Be willing to stare it down, fearless in the face of fear, right? Like Gabriel didn't grow up in a vegan family. Uh, his decision to deviate from his family's traditional shoe manufacturing business for sure carried the consequences of interpersonal conflict. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, and, you know, this is often extremely difficult terrain to navigate in the developmental process, both as a, a child becoming an adolescent, an adolescent becoming an adult, or a young adult, a young adult becoming a not young adult, <laughs> at every stage of, of this process. But it is the embodiment of the hero's journey, right? Being willing to face down the dragon, whatever form that takes, and that form will change from one stage of a person's life to the next. But nevertheless, we always have to be up for that, that challenge, that, that opportunity. And so I think that that's one of the things that came out of this story for me is, is this, this example where he had to challenge, you know, he was working for his dad's or his family's traditional shoe manufacturing company, which wasn't a negative, it was an opportunity because it opened up a window for him. But then he was able to see where the optimization opportunity was and how to bring these sort of creative building blocks into alignment with his own personal values. I think that's what was cool. Um, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate describes this as a tension between attachment and authenticity. And as hard as the course may be, it's really up to us to claim our own authenticity. Again, I know that this can be obviously difficult and I, I, I'm not in any position to make judgments of how different people navigate this in their lives because sometimes this can coincide with a very real threat of social ostracism or even physical harm, right? I obviously live in a very privileged society where that's, that's not the case. Um, or I live in a very per privileged, I should say, strata of society where that's not the case, but I'm aware that it often is for certain people and, and still the, the internal challenge to, to, to engage in this process in whatever form it has to take is there for all of us. I, I, so I would say it's best if others can come along for the ride, right? That we don't have to swap out our attachment for authenticity, so to speak, but we've got to be willing to risk it, I think is the lesson for me personally. Um, you know, it's nice if everybody can come along for the ride, but holding up the train comes with its own consequences also, uh, even if we often don't perceive them or admit to them. Um, more often it's admitting to them, right? Because we kind of know, we know in our heart of hearts what, what the consequences are, or at least we have a sense that they're not in alignment with our flir the best version of ourselves, our flourishing selves. 
and yet we kind of you know brush them aside and don't really want to admit to them in the short term and I, I think that this is there's an opportunity for all of us to recognize and seize on those opportunities um, seize on those moments when we get to challenge the dragons within ourselves so um, those are a few of the takeaways for me personally from this conversation I hope it was interesting and useful for uh, for all of the listeners out there and thank you uh, and once again you guys this is the last episode of running on empty it's really been an immense pleasure to be able to on a monthly basis speak with you guys um, early on we were doing calls and taking questions and i was hearing from more of you more often and then as things developed it became more of a a show with recorded interviews, but I hope that they were all compelling and, and um, invaluable. And please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I said at the beginning of the show that the new program is, uh, the program is in transition. It's no longer gonna be running on empty. I, I decided I wanted to kind of frame my project more in the positive, um, even though the, the scale of these threats is gargantuan. Still, I would like to propose that we do not run on empty and that rather we really focus on the formation of something new, something the likes the world has never really seen before. And that is the impetus for restorative revolution. So I would encourage you to, to connect with, um, with me at restorativerevolution.org. The website's still in progress, but it's coming soon. So definitely stop by if you, if you want to continue to be a part of this conversation, and I would welcome that. Um, thank you to Alicia, the program director at KZYX. Thank you to Renee for all of the programs that you helped facilitate, um, especially once COVID started. Uh, thank you, KZYX, for giving me the opportunity to, to have this program. And thank you, most of all, listeners, for being a part of this creation with me. Uh, truly, it's been a pleasure, and I wish you all the best, and please connect with me at some point in the future if you'd like to. This has been Running on Empty, the Ecology Hour on KZYX, and I'm your host, Patrick Mitchell. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.